us from the Berea congregation. Brother Kevin is, is the pulpit minister there at Berea uh, in Lebanon, Tennessee, and he served uh, there since 2020. Uh, and he graduated in 1983 with a B.S. in Bible. Uh, he has served churches in Virginia, Florida, and Tennessee. He held gospel meetings, spoken at youth rallies, including CYC. Uh, Kevin also served as a camp counselor and on the board of directors for the Murray Christian Camp. His journeys have also included mission trips to the Bahamas over 17 years. He's married to the former uh, Delana Westmoreland. His role as father to Ashley, Brandon, Samantha, and Sawyer, and grandfather to Liam, Harper, Nora, and, and, uh, and Lennox brings great delight. <laughs> uh, we're so excited to have Brother Kevin here with us tonight um, as he speaks to us on the topic, Was Jesus More Than a Man? Brother Kevin. Great to see everybody tonight. I think. Is that on? I don't think. I don't think my mic is on. It's on. It's on. So excited to be with you again this year for your summer series. I love this congregation so much and know many of you and getting to know even more and what a delight you are. I pray that God will continue to bless this congregation as you strive to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to reach a lost and dying world for him and to encourage people to be faithful to him all their days. And I hope that's what happens tonight with our time together. I'm excited about the topic that I was assigned. Was Jesus more than a man? Yes. Thank you and have a good night. <laughs> so in order to answer the question, was Jesus more than a man, we are going to look at several main points from this lesson. But I want to make sure that the answer to this question is vitally important. We live in a time of political correctness. We live in a time where people want to think what they want to think and do what they want to do and nobody else tell them anything. You agree with that? It's deadly, spiritually deadly. Because people who really don't care about the Bible, who really don't care about truth, are making decisions that have eternal consequences, including how they feel about Jesus. A lot of people just um, assume that Jesus is maybe either a myth that maybe he's just a good guy or maybe he's uh, a prophet, but he's no different than Gandhi, no different than Muhammad or Buddha or any other religious leader, and that you should choose your own way, and whether that's Christianity or that's another world religion, or in fact, just choosing not to believe anything, that everybody has their own path to the next life, if there is one. In some people's mind, there's not. But... I believe, and I know that most everybody here does, if not all, believe that there is an eternity. An eternity based on a decision. Whether or not we believe and obey the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our text tonight comes from Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. 
When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Not Peter, but on the foundational principle of the church, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we'll look at how important that fact is and that statement is when it comes to our salvation and our relationship with Him as Lord and Savior. In order to answer the question, was Jesus more than man, we first of all need to think about the fact that some people don't believe Jesus was real anyway. That Jesus is just a myth. That he's just a fable. That he's just someone that somebody conjured up. So we want to begin from an historical perspective from people that aren't believers. From people that were just historians of the day. The first one is Josephus. I know many of you have heard of Josephus. He lived during the first century. And this is what he tells us. He confirms in his book of history, of Jewish history, which was entitled Jewish Antiquities, that Jesus of Nazareth was executed by the Romans. His followers, known as Christians, continued his teachings. His book was published in 93 AD, some 60 years after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected and ascended back to heaven. This was a Jewish man, not a Christian. He confirms from us, from a Jewish historical standpoint, that Jesus of Nazareth was, in fact, a character or a person who lived during the first century and was executed by Pontius Pilate. History also tells us from the Roman standpoint, a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus wrote in his book, The Annals, about Pontius Pilate's execution of a religious leader named Jesus of Nazareth. Tacitus did not like followers called Christians, didn't care for them at all, but he confirmed that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. He wrote this in about 115 AD. Pliny the Younger was a governor of Asia Minor, and he wrote letters to the emperor Tejan concerning Christians. He said they were followers of Jesus of Nazareth. These folks worship Jesus as a god. His writings to the emperor dated in 112 AD. So Jesus of Nazareth is confirmed not only from the scriptures that we believe is the inspired word of God, but Jewish historians and Roman historians also validate that Jesus of Nazareth was a man and that he lived in the first century, that he was executed by Pontius Pilate, which we know is also confirmed in scripture. So the next thing we need to ascertain is this. Was Jesus more than just somebody from Nazareth? Was he, in fact, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. The second point that we look tonight is that Jesus was the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus of Nazareth personally fulfilled 
more than 350 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. From a statistical standpoint, it would be impossible for one person to fulfill all of those prophecies by one person unless, in fact, he was the Messiah, the one they were looking for, the Son of God. Number three, God declared Jesus to be the Son of God. On multiple occasions, God provided to human witnesses his testimony that Jesus was, in fact, his beloved Son. The first occasion is at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist at Enon near Salem. It says, when he had been baptized, that's Jesus, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, we hear those words written from the Scriptures, but I doubt we fully comprehend the power and the magnitude of His voice and of that statement. I take you back to all the way to uh, Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, God tells all of the Israelites to get ready because He's going to come down and ascend on the mountain and make His presence known. And so He told them to go and wash yourselves and prepare yourselves for three days and I will come down. And when it was time to come, there was a trumpet blast. There was a, the mountain looked like it was on fire, like a furnace. There was smoke billowing everywhere. And God descended onto Mount Sinai and He spoke to the people. His voice so powerful that in fact, after it was over with, the Israelites made a very unusual request. And I just want to ask you a question. Raise your hand. Would you like to hear the voice of God today? If God could just speak to us audibly so the whole world could hear Him, how many of you would like that? What are the rest of y'all waiting on? Just kidding. But you know what's interesting? When God got done on Mount Sinai, this is what the Israelites told Moses. From now on, if God needs to tell us something, you get him to tell you and you tell us and we'll believe. Because his voice is so powerful that we believe if he speaks again, we're going to die. So when Jesus was baptized and this voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, this was not... But, but this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He didn't say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was the voice of the I Am, the Almighty God, who spoke so there could be no doubt. He declared him to be the Son of God. The second occasion is on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says... While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Afraid of what? Not the proclamation of truth that he's the Son of God, but by the voice, the power of God's voice. They fell to the ground and were shaken in their shoes. They were scared to death to hear the very essence of God speak. So unequivocally, God decreed 
in a visual and audio way that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. Peter mentions it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. It says, For he see from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter declares, we heard God speak. We heard his voice, the voice of Almighty God, and wanted everybody to know they were witnesses of God's testimony and declaration. Fourth, let's think about Jesus' own words, that he himself declared himself to be the Son of God. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. And he said unto him, speaking to the Pharisees, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I want to call your attention to this passage that reiterates what I said to you a little bit earlier. Believing in Jesus as the Son of God is not just a nice concept. It's not just a great idea. It is essential to our salvation. Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you cannot be saved. I want to say that again. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you cannot be saved. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am He you will die in your sins. Then verses 57 through 59. Then the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Mostly assuredly I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And that's an allusion to what happened in Exodus chapter 3, when God calls Moses from the burning bush, and he asked him, tells him he needs him to go back to Egypt to bring his people out. And finally, when Moses gets done with all the excuses of why he couldn't do it, he says, now, when I go there and tell the people that you've sent me, who am I supposed to tell them you are? And God said, I am that I am. Jesus, in this statement to the Jews, uncategorically decreed to them he was the Son of God, deity, eternal in nature. And as a result, did they bow down before him? Did they worship him? Did they thank him for coming? Did they adore him? Did they ask him what they could do to help him? No. Verse 59 says, and they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. It was not yet his time to die, but they were ready to kill him. I propose to you tonight that as I read my New Testament and I think about all the different Jewish leaders, it amazes me that the very ones who should have been the ones out there working for Jesus, preparing the way for him as John the Baptist did, were the very ones that led others against him. In fact, in John chapter 17, excuse me, John chapter 11, when, when Lazarus died, Jesus found out that Lazarus was sick unto death and he waited for a few more days, and then he came. 
And when he did come and Lazarus was raised from the dead, what happened to the Jewish leaders when they saw this man who had been in the grave be, be alive again? Did they glorify God? Did they recognize him as the Son of God? Were they then ready to humble themselves and obey him? No. They look for ways, listen to this, they look for ways to kill Lazarus because he was evidence. So they wanted not only to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus because everybody was believing in Jesus. May I tell you something very honestly? If you don't believe that there's a God, you don't want to believe in a God. Anybody with half sense that would believe that everything in our world today just happened. There's all this stuff went boom and stuff went flying everywhere and then you have these one-celled organisms that multiplied and the next thing you know, they, they, an organism happened to develop into a something and it crawled up on the land, drew, drew legs, stood up and started walking and somehow got gills and, and lungs at the same time and continued to breathe and continued to, to... Let me tell you something. Have you ever stood at the ocean with the wide foam at your feet? Heard the thunderous motion? Have you ever been up on the mountains and looked across the valleys? Have you ever stared at an azure blue sky as somebody held you a newborn baby, handed it to you? There's evidence of the great I am everywhere. Anybody that could think that it all just happened doesn't want to believe in God. And I will also add to that when people tell me that they don't believe in Jesus, won't believe in Jesus, and there's nothing anybody could tell them to change their mind that just tells me they're not seeking truth. They don't want to believe. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said unto them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I ask you, also ask you, will you by no means answer me or let me go? Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. With his own mouth, Jesus decreed he's the Son of God. If Jesus of Nazareth was just a man, if he's just some prophet, if he's somebody that you could take it or leave it, if he's not truly the Son of God, then he was a liar. If not a liar, mentally unstable. If not mentally unstable, delusional. And if not delusional, then he's just a myth. And he cannot be the savior of the world. And we're living a lie. We're believing a lie. And nothing matters if Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. But aren't you glad he is? Aren't you glad you believe? And that, my friends, changes everything. Point number five. 
We know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because of the miracles, signs, and wonders which He did while He was here on the earth. A miracle. A miracle is something done that transcends natural law. Something that couldn't be done unless it was of God. Interwoven along with that on synonymous terms would be a sign, something that has uh, in and of itself, in the act itself, brings about the awe of God. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon, which we're going to get back to that important event in a little bit, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by, you, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So he did things that unequivocally proved that he was of God. When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one? Or should we look for another? And at that very hour, Jesus had cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. So Jesus answered and said to these men that John the Baptist sent, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I told the congregation at Berea not too long ago that if someone told me that they had the power to do a miracle and that they could raise the dead and that we would go out here to the city cemetery and he would say to me, Kevin, just pick any tombstone. And I'd go pick me an old one. I said, that one right over there. And we go over there, and he goes, I'm going to raise this person from the dead. And he prayed a prayer, and all of a sudden the ground started shaking. The tombstone fell over. The ground shot up in the air. The vault came up. The top fell off. The casket came up. The casket opened up and a body came out and came back to life. Would you believe? You're a hardcore group. I'll just tell you that right now. I got to pick the grave, and it was not a new grave. I would believe. Would you believe? How could anybody not believe? It gets back to what we've already said. People still wouldn't believe because they don't want to believe. And truly did Jesus, and truly did Jesus many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Point number six. We can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because of the life, the ministry, and the inspired writings of his apostles. The apostles spent some three years with Jesus during his personal ministry. They were witnesses of the miracles. They heard his teachings, and they shared them as Jesus told them to. And they helped to bring about the church. And they continued to nourish and to strengthen and to help the church grow even after its establishment. 
and they had the ability to perform miraculous wonders and signs so that others could believe that they were also speaking on behalf of God. Philip becomes an apostle. Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me, and he did. In John chapter 1, verse 47, he says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, this is a great quote, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. The King James says there's no guile in him. Nathanael said unto him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In Acts chapter 4, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, That's the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by which means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And when they looked and saw the man who was lame walking again, they couldn't speak anything against the miracle. Because you see, on that day, on the way to the temple during the hour of prayer, Peter and John were about to go through the gate beautiful into the temple area. And there was a lame man who was begging for money. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and stood him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he began walking and running and leaping and rejoicing and praising God. And he had never walked a day in his life. And he was 40 years old. And when people saw it, they joined in the celebration and began praising the God. And many more believed that day. Number seven, the testimony of a Roman centurion. You know the Romans had a reputation for being bloodthirsty, cruel, heartless human beings. Roman soldiers, they didn't care about human life. And when it came to executions, they took it on as a game. They wanted to see how much suffering they could inflict on someone before it brought about their death. And this man that we're going to talk about was an officer of the Romans, which meant he would have been very experienced, well thought of, very knowledgeable, and he had seen a lot in his tenure as a soldier. Though being an officer in charge of the execution of Jesus, he could not help but come to the conclusion that Jesus had to be 
the Son of God. Now listen, he had been responsible for executing lots of guys, no doubt, and lots of people. And yet he had never saw anybody handle his trial, his sentencing, and his execution like Jesus. He heard every word he said. He witnessed every deed that was done. And he witnessed Jesus take his last breath. Have you ever been with someone when they die? I've been with many people when they die. I've been holding their hand. It's the most, one of the most humbling things you could ever experience to be with someone as they leave this world and step into the next. And when this Roman centurion witnessed Jesus' death. Jesus cried with a loud voice and breathed his last. And the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Number eight. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus is great evidence to help us to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. For you see, Saul of Tarsus thought that Christians were Jews who did not keep the law, and the penalty for not keeping the law was death. So he thought that he was doing God's bidding. He thought that he was doing God's will, and he saw after the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7, and then... He went to Damascus with letters so that he might arrest those who were of the way, those who were disciples of Christ, that he might arrest them and bring them bound to Jerusalem that they might undergo trial. But he met Jesus on the way to Damascus. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. This man who had impeccable Jewish lineage a Jew of all Jews, a leader among the Jewish people who kept the law impeccably, who was so dedicated to God that there was no stone left unturned to make sure to get rid of these Jewish Christians who were not keeping the law anymore. But when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by the light. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. He told him to go on into the city, to the street that is called Straight, and there, wait. 
and you will be told what you must do in order to be saved. And he fasted and prayed for three days before Ananias arrived. Let me tell you something. There was a time that Saul of Tarsus got it all wrong. There was a time in which he was filled with self-righteousness. There was a time that he thought that he couldn't be told anything. He knew everything. There was a time in which he concluded beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus of Nazareth was a hoax. It was a joke. But when he came to a knowledge of truth, when he met Jesus, he showed us why God chose him to be a chosen vessel unto the Gentiles. Because his heart was so good and pure that all he needed was the truth. He completely did an about-face gave up all of the glory and the splendor that humans could shower upon him as a Jewish leader and become a traitor in their eyes that he might preach Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Number nine, the testimony of Jesus' physical family. Now, there are four of us when I was growing up, four of us kids. My oldest brother, Kyle, is, is, he was born with brain damage. He's four years older than me, and he, he has the mind of a three-year-old. He still plays with trucks and cars, and, and he loves little statues of horses. So that's what he gets for Christmas. Horses or trucks or cars. Kyle can't talk. Never had a real conversation with him. But we took up the heads for him. The other three of us, whew, it was something else growing up. We fought like cats and dogs. Anybody else in here fought with your, cat, your brothers and sisters like cats and dogs? My mom and dad, I'm telling you, we told our little sister. I have a sister that's seven years younger. She's the youngest of us. We told her one day, She's about, I don't know, three or four years old. We were in Kmart one day. And anybody remember Kmart Blue Light Specials? Anybody remember those days? Well, they had this little cart with a pole on it, and on top of it was a light. And like on a Saturday or something like that, they would go around the store, and every few minutes they'd say, there's a Blue Light Special on aisle four, and everybody go flying over there. Well, my mom and dad, they loved them. I don't know how many hours we spent in there chasing Blue Light Specials as a kid growing up. Well, we did. Well, one day I got the bright idea that I needed to educate my little sister. So they had a blue light special over somewhere around the toys. And we got, there, we got over there with her, and she was in the car, and I was pushing the car, and she was looking at me. And I leaned down, and I said, Dana, I want you to know something. This is where we got you. You were a blue light special. The babies went so fast, they ran out. But I heard you making a racket under that shelf down there, and I looked down in there, and I found you, and I pulled you out and gave you to Mom and said, Hey, there's one more left. So you've been ours ever since. She starts screaming, Mama, am I a blue light special? Kevin says I'm a blue light special. To this day, ladies and gentlemen, my sister is up in her 50s now. I can still not to this day remind her that she was a blue light special without getting smacked. Could you imagine what it would be like to be a half-brother or sister to Jesus? 
We know he had at least two sisters and four brothers. Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up with Jesus who never committed sin, never said anything bad, never did anything wrong? We blame stuff on each other all the time growing up. It was amazing that we did not, when we were young, exude total truthfulness. We would blame stuff on each other. And then we get into a fight. My oldest sister, Donna, she had the longest fingernails. She'd get mad at me, and she'd peel that hide back. She could peel skin and make it look like that carrot stuff. You know, you take one of those little peelers, and you peel carrots, and it just does like that. She could do that on my... In fact, I think there's a scar right there. And then I'd shove her or do something, and she'd fall over on the floor and act like she was having a seizure. And next thing you know, my mother comes in there or my dad comes in there, and she said, Kevin punched me. Kevin hit me. And my dad said, did you hit your sister? But dad, I, boom. And while he's dealing with me, she's looking up for me on the floor laughing. Dad looked over at her and she goes, ah! I say all that to say this. Jesus was raised in a physical flesh and was like a normal boy growing up. You remember in Luke chapter 2 when he got separated from his family? They went a day's journey from the temple when they finally realized that they weren't with him. So it takes a day up there and they get back. So they come back looking for Jesus who's separated. He's been gone two days. Took them three days to find him. He was out of their presence for five days. Now, I don't know, if you're like me and I was going to go try to find Jesus, I'd go to the temple. Maybe they looked everywhere but the temple, thinking he was playing games or running around or doing stuff. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But because he was the oldest of the children, because Joseph did not know Mary, did not have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. So he was the oldest in that household. None of his brothers and sisters believed that he was the Son of God. And somehow I lost that scripture. Well, anyway. John tells us John tells us, and I believe it's John chapter 5 and verse 17, that his family did not believe in him. In fact, we're reminded in the Gospels that at one point, the crowds were thronging around this house where Jesus was at, and his brothers and sisters did not believe and thought that he had lost his mind. They were going to come and take him away. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that there was 120 believers gathered together with the apostles in tow. They were all gathered together in Jerusalem awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and Jesus' brethren were there as well. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, not only became a leader, he became a leader in the church, a believer, he became a leader in the church and wrote the book of James. And James opens James, with verse 1 of chapter 1, saying, James, a bondservant of Jesus the Christ. Number 10. May we realize that salvation rests in Jesus alone as the Son of God. Mark chapter 3. 
Then the multitude came together again so they could not as much as eat bread. There's my passage right there. They tried to lay hands on Jesus thinking he was out of his mind. John chapter 7 verse 5. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It lists all the apostles, and then it tells us that Jesus, along, excuse me, that Mary, along with uh, the mother of Jesus, along with his brothers, were assembled with them as well. Somehow this all got out of whack right there. Let's go back to the last point. Salvation rests on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Acts chapter 5, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, man identified as the Ethiopian eunuch is going from Jerusalem to, to uh, excuse me, going from e uh, Africa up to Jerusalem to worship. He's from Ethiopia. And when he's returning back home, he's reading from what we know to be Isaiah chapter 53. Through the intervention of an angel and the Holy Spirit, Peter, Philip is joined to this chariot. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited him to come into the chariot and to ride along with him. And verse 35 says, and he began to that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And when they came along on the way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he said, listen to this. If you believe with all of your heart, you may. This is not a casual assent to facts. This is not just saying, well, I think he might be. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And listen to this. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul, speaking about the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation that we might believe that He is the Son of God, that He came and lived a sinless life, that He died, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Yet He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Is Jesus truly more than a man? And the congregation said, Amen. I'll pick up with this during our invitation.